Dear Lord, we thank you for calling us to this space today. As we worship you and praise you for the multitude of your mighty works. You have been the one true living God since the beginning of time and are the author and creator of everything that exists. We love you and seek to become more like you, to see the world and your people through your eyes of love. We thank you for the many ways that you bless our lives, but most of all, we thank you for your magnificent gift of salvation through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. It's always a great day when we can celebrate with those around us and rejoice in the moments of life that are so very special. We pray today for Melissa Nissen and Brad Walsh, who were married yesterday, and ask for your blessings to pour down on them as they begin their marriage and life together. We also pray for those who are hurting today, for those whose bodies may be in pain, and those whose minds or spirits are aching. Here are prayers for Craig Collins, Myrna Carter, Don Bolton, Theola Scott, and Harper Wildman, who had to be in the hospital this week. We pray that you will cover them with your healing hands and guide their recovery as they work to regain their health. And Lord, we also ask your blessings of peace and comfort to surround the family of Phyllis Wilkins, who is the sister of Paul Port and the niece of Olive Port. May your love give them strength and encouragement during this very difficult time. Be with all who are grieving today, whether it's been a short time since their loved one has passed, or months or years, because we know that ache continues for a very long time, and and you are the one who can heal that ache and give them peace. We lift up our prayers and petitions to you this morning, knowing that when we ask anything in Jesus' name, our prayers will be heard and answered. Now together we join our voices in the prayer that was taught to us by your son Jesus himself, who told us to pray with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. 
Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, as Pastor Mike comes to share this message that you have given him, Lord, we pray that his words would be empowered by your Holy Spirit and that our ears and hearts would be open to hear and receive what your Spirit would say to your church. May we be transformed by your word and by understanding the plan that you have for us, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. So glad that you're here at worship today. I just want to take a moment as I get started to just take a minute with you. I know that uh, Methodist churches traditionally, uh, especially in traditional services, have always wondered, should we clap after something or not? And I really don't care one way or another. But when you make a choice, go for it. You know, that, that anthem, I got to tell you, choir, that was an awesome anthem, and we had a little bit of Methodist patty cake for him. It's like, if you got it in your heart to clap, just go ahead. If nobody else goes, so good job, choir. You know, give it up. It's all right. It's, it's all right to be expressive in church, and if you're the only one, you're doing it to God anyway, and if your heart is moving that way, just go with it. Don't, don't feel hesitant. Um, this morning... I'm going to talk about something important, and as you pick out that insert in the inside of your bulletin that says uh, disciple on the top of it, we're working through the, the, the definition that our discipleship pathway group has written for us as a, a congregation about what a disciple is, and we're on that fourth bullet down there that's in, in bold print that, that says a disciple is a person growing in the grace and knowledge of God, so let's go there today. It's important for us always to never forget the big picture, to never forget the big picture. There, there was a woman, she had her hands on her hips like this, and she's arguing with her husband, and she said, see, see, I told you the train came at 3.05, not 3.15. He said, I know, honey, you're right. We've been arguing about it all day, but you're right. But she said, see, look, I told you that, was, that, that it was coming at 3.15. He says, honey, you're right, but it's getting closer and closer to you. Get off the tracks now, okay? <laughs> we, we, we can't lose the big picture. It's important for us always to see the big picture of what God has in front of us. I was at a meeting earlier this week, true story, kind of devastating, with some pastors. Really cool thing. One of my friends has been working at his church for a number of years, and finally, after a couple of years' time, has convinced the church that has not had confirmation or any youth ministry in the last 20 years to begin a confirmation class. So last, this past summer, they went down, they found this, what used to be a nice classroom in the basement of the church, and when they opened the door, they only opened it far enough to hit the big pile of junk that was in there. You know, mangers from 1965 Christmas programs, old choir robes, all this kind of stuff. And to the church's credit, they said, you know what, let's move most of that out. And when they were gone, the pastor moved the rest of it out. I'm just kidding. 
That doesn't happen. And then they cleaned the room and they painted it. And they painted it this beautiful United Methodist holy off-white that we seem to be so in love with. And when they got the room all painted, they said they deemed it ready for the children. And so the confirmation class began to grow. First there was three, six, now 14 in the class, which is very exciting. And as the class began to get momentum to them, the, the pastor said to the students, maybe you'd like to, to put your own signature on this, wall, this room. Maybe you'd like to make it your own. And they said, okay, pastor, but we don't want to put a bunch of crazy posters up that in the, in, the, in the church. That might ruin the walls. The older people in the church wouldn't like that. And they said, you know, he says, you're probably right. So they had a meeting with the board of trustees chair and, and the pastor, and, and they decided that maybe they would just paint one wall, an accent color, and they went sent certain students, three of the students, to the paint store. And they got a bunch of chips. And they worked together after school. And they, they finally came to three colors. And the three colors were about as crazy as you'd find in a Starbucks. The, the choice they had chosen for one wall, the accent, their confirmation room, was avocado green. 70s came back around to haunt us, didn't they? So they met with the board of trustees who said, you know... That's an okay idea. Let's go to the church council. And the church council said, absolutely not. We're not going to ruin that room by putting this on the wall. Here's what I see in my mind. 40 years from now, 58-year-old person sitting with their grandchildren, and they say, Grandpa, why did you never go to church? Well, I used to go to church when I was younger. But you know, I got real involved in my church and our youth program was growing and then we wanted to paint a wall, one wall in a small room in the basement of the church, avocado green. And the board of the church said no. So I really haven't been back since that. See, I think that church has completely lost sight of the big picture. The big picture is last year they had zero kids. This year they have 14 kids. I might let them paint the steeple. You know it's true too. Because while that might be inappropriate, we understand that the big picture is if if we're to win souls for Christ, we we have to bring them in. And, and, And Peter says to the early Christians in the church, don't forget the big picture. Things are not always what they seem right now. Things are not as clear to you if you... But look at the big picture and you'll see what's going on here. You see, when Peter is writing, what's happened? Now, Peter, remember, was a colleague, the the lead disciple uh, alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. So time has passed since Christ has died and ascended into heaven. And there are false teachers going around saying, look, 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 look. Remember he told us he's coming back again? He's not back yet, so do whatever you want. He's obviously not coming back. This, this is not what we thought it would be. Just go, and, and, and Peter and his disciples at that time were saying, no, 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 no. Stay focused. Let me give you a reminder. And this is the first 10 verses of the chapter we, we, we read today. Let me give you a reminder. God, in his wisdom and by his power and by his hand, created the world out of nothing. And when it went astray, he flooded that world and took it back down to nothing and repopulated through Noah and the population. And he has promised he will take that world again, but he is not rushing to that judgment. Remind yourself of this, Christians, says First Peter. He is not rushing to destroy the world. He's not rushing towards the end of the world because he is waiting, waiting, waiting. 
for all to come to him because he's not a God of destruction. He's a God of salvation. And he is desperately pining that we might come to him and, and repent. But the day is coming, says Peter. And, and as Keith began to read, it comes like a thief in the night. And this is what I know. And you know it too. A thief comes without an appointment, don't they? You know, imagine yourself sitting at home. Hello? Yes, Mr. Alt? Understand you got a big uh, screen TV last year. Well, yes, I did. You got that brand new Mr. Coffee coffee pot. Yes, I did. We'll be by between 3 and 5 Monday to steal those from you. We wouldn't be, you, you wouldn't leave the house, wouldn't you? The thieves don't make appointments. And neither does God make appointments in our lives. He is appointed to our lives. He doesn't make appointment. The promise stands. Everything in the earth and done in the earth will be laid bare. In the meantime, and this is what scriptures are about, because remember, since we weren't at creation in the flood, we are in the meantime between that and the end times. So in the meantime, what is it that we're supposed to be, do? Live lives that are holy and acceptable to God. See, the believer's responsibility is to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. That is the responsibility we have. And here's why. Christianity is distinct from every other religion in the world. Christianity is absolutely different from every religion in the world. I always have the hackles on my spine raised up when someone says, well, we're just about the same as... No, we're not about the same as anybody. You see, and the scriptures record this, there is something within every human being, man, boy, woman, child, that has this knowledge, this this foreknowing that there is a God. In the scriptures it tells us he plants eternity within us, but not so as we can get our hands upon it. There is this knowledge, a deep knowing, a significant knowing that, that there, are, there is a God. And that's why so many religions have been developed because people ha- have wanted to account for that knowledge that's in them and do something about it. And religion... In a lot of ways, it's humanity's attempt to reach up to God and try to grasp hold on God. And this is where Christianity is incredibly different than all world religions. Because Christianity is not us reaching to God, but God reaching down to us. You see, that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not religion. It's about a relationship. Everything in our faith, our whole belief system hinges on one truth. And that is that God becomes one of us in Jesus Christ our Lord. He becomes one of us so that we might be remade into a new creation. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new has begun. And when you have new life, birth, it always has to be followed by growth, doesn't it? Birth is always followed by growth. I love babies. I I have no grandchildren yet, but I have great hopes. I am a grandparent in training. Anytime I see a baby rolling around, I want to put that thing right here. And I'm kind of, I tell, I told my son-in-law at a meeting, I held one of my friend's babies. I said, Cameron, I'm practicing. I'm training. I'm training. I'm getting ready. You see, because babies are cute. No pressure, son. I tell him no pressure, but I'm getting ready, you know. Grandpa's getting ready. You see, babies are cute and they're fun and they, they celebrate a, a ser- sequence of one first after another, right? Remember when we say, oh, his first smile, and then somebody doesn't help you and they say, no, it's just gas. No, it's his first smile, okay? 
You know, that's his, the, the first, that, that, that's the first time that he, he said a word. You know, he, he said cowboys, you know, go Dallas. Anyway, they, it, you know, and it was the first time he took a step and the first time she did this and that. And we celebrate all those firsts. But you know, here's the thing. That's good when they're babies. But a 20-year-old baby or a 40-year-old baby, that's pitiful and gross. I know a lot of babies that are shaving every day. They just haven't grown. Their bodies have gotten bigger. They're more ambulatory than they were when they were one or two, but they just haven't grown. We don't reward the stuck. We don't celebrate those people that are stuck. And And I will tell you this because we know it to be true. There is much spiritual immaturity among the Christians of today, among those of us that are part of worshiping congregations. And it's okay for us to experience immature Christianity when we're young in the faith, when we're experiencing new growth. When new people come into our church and they don't know the meanings of some of these symbols and they might come up to pastor and say, why are there so many T's around here in this building? Well, we understand that because they don't know what the cross of Christ is. They haven't had that explained to them. And, and when, when, when they don't understand some of the words we use, doxology and sanctification and justification and sin and redemption, we understand that because they're new Christians. And we, we celebrate their strides when they have the, a, a number of firsts, when they have their aha moments. But, but it's, it's pitiful and somewhat grotesque to the Lord. When some of us have been attending a worshiping congregation or been part of a church for 10, 20, or 70 years, and our faith is stuck or it's stale, and we haven't grown a bit since we got confirmed down here at this kneeling race. You see, Christians are living organisms. And living organisms only do two things. They grow or they die. And we have to discern which one of those ours is going to be today. So, so let's focus on where we need to do. Our focus today is what does it mean to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God? I'll tell you what it's not. A little bit of reverse engineering. This is what growing in the grace and knowledge of God is not. It does not mean getting more grace from God. When God pours his grace upon you, that's all there is. That's all you need. It doesn't mean that that God's grace is ever going to increase. It's infinite. It's the same all the way through. It cannot be more. It could never be less. I had a girl named Mindy Angus, a beautiful girl from Red Oak, Iowa, give a talk once at Campus Worship at Simpson College. And she did it this way. It was kind of neat. She took a Tootsie Roll. Remember a Tootsie Roll? She had a knife up there, and she was explaining the grace of God in us, how the grace of God comes to us. And she took the Tootsie Roll and she cut the first piece off it and then she showed it to the congregation. She said, see, chocolate, both sides, all the way through. She cut the next one, chocolate, both sides, all the way down those little you know, pieces that, that, that a Tootsie Roll has. And she says, do you understand what I'm talking about? If you have God's grace in you, it's the same all the way through because God is the same all the way through. And no matter how you cut a Christian, it's grace, grace, grace. So we can't be out there questing for more grace, more of God, you know, like, like that. Because once God pours his grace into us, he's in us. There's no more grace to give. There can't be more. We can't be more forgiven. We can't be more justified when God gives us those. What growing in grace means, to grow in grace means to mature as a Christian. It means to keep progressing towards God. To grow in grace means to grow in our understanding, our appreciation of what Jesus did on the cross 
for us and in our appreciation of the grace that he's given us. We know that grace is a blessing that we don't deserve. Take a look at what Paul writes in in Ephesians. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that. I mean, we should underline that in our scriptures. You can't take credit for that. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You see, grace is the attribute of God that enables us to break free from our sinful nature. Grace is the attribute of God that that allows us to follow him. See, maturing in the Christian life is not about what we do. It's not about what we do, but about what God does in us. Now that said, I'm going to tell you in a few minutes some of the way God works through us and what our response to that should be. But maturing the Christian life is not about what we do first, but about what God is doing in us. The more grace we have, the more grace we act, ask for, the more mature as Christians will become. Now, let me give you an example. I told Keith I was going to go youth ministry 101 today. Now, can you see that there's some water in this vase from your standpoint where you're at? I want to use that as a, a visual of our personality. If we say, and I did at the beginning of this talk, that there is something within us that is a seed of God planted in our personality, and the rest of this, all this air, that's us, that's our personality, and our spirit is the surrounding glass vase. Now, I will tell you this, every image, any metaphor of God falls short, so go with me on this. It's like this. You see... When God plants himself in us and we ask for more, what he will do is fill us up with more of himself. And therefore, there's less room for our desires, our will, our stuff, and more room for him. And as we continue to ask him to fill us up, what happens is he pours so much of himself is, and and sometimes you'll hear people pray, Lord, let me pour myself out so that you might pour yourself in. That's what this means. Is that as the Lord adds more and more of himself to us, it's not like our personality runs away. It's that our personality is transformed to where there's less room for our stuff and all room for what God would want us to do. I know you understand. Take that home in your mind because that's what, what growing and, and filling ourselves with grace is allowing God to fill us with grace because the more of him that pours into us, the less of us and our silly, silly, silly things and our, our, our shameful wantonness and all that kind of stuff there is in our lives and the more holy we become in the meantime. And of course, if we're doing it right, if we're letting God grow in us so much, it's very hard to, to discern where our, thoughts, our thoughts stop and God's thoughts and drives start in our lives because we've aligned ourselves so much with him. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this, Since you have raised us to new life in Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, For you died to this life, and your real life, get this, your real life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, get the analogy, 
When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world, you will share in all his glory. See, the intimacy of our relationship just absolutely must grow. The more of him, the more we know of him, the more of him will be seen in our lives. And so then, of course, we ask our questions. Are we growing? I ask you, are you growing? Or are you stuck? Let's take a minute, because I said a little while ago that, that it is God's grace poured into us that will grow us in love and understanding and grace of him. Let me, let me talk about today, uh, about what, what are the means that God uses to help you grow in grace. The first one's the obvious one. It's his word, the Bible, the Old and New Testament. See, the scripture is how God speaks his word to us. He, he tells us what he's up to in the world. He, the scripture is, is not, as you might think, the history of the world. The scripture is the history of God and God's people. It, it presupposes that God exists and it tells us who it is that we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to go and dwell in it. I, I love there's an expression that appears throughout scriptures. When someone affiliates with something, with another person, they'll say, I pitch my tent with you. Which means, I'm going to move next door to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bring all my stuff. When it, we talk about God's word, we're to dwell in it. Which is to say, we're supposed to pitch our tent in God's word, the Old and New Testament. And, and look there first when, when struggles or whatever comes in our lives. And to grow in the word every day. I was, I was talking to one of our members yesterday. It was kind of a fun little experience downstairs at the bazaar. And she came up to me and she said, feel my guns. Now, it wasn't what I expected, but it was kind of fun because what she was saying is they're stronger and firmer than they were a couple weeks ago, but they didn't get there by magic. You know, she's having a regular routine of commitment of going to the gym every single day and being part of this exercise class, right? And so, of course, by pouring herself into that, her guns of lightning and thunder are coming back, right? Back to the way they were when, when she was a young person. You see, when we grow in the Word every day, it takes some commitment. We have to set some time apart for it. We have to throw ourselves into it. Otherwise, how could it affect us? We say, we believe in the Bible but never open it. We believe in the teachings of the Bible but don't know them. You've got to let yourself dwell in the Bible a little bit. Secondly, how, how, what are the means that God uses to help us grow in grace? He uses your troubles and experiences. You know, I never take polls about this because I believe that every one of us, and Keith and I have said this many times, we're either in a trouble right now, on our way towards one, or walking out of one right now. I mean, that's just the way trouble comes to our lives. And see, our God is a God who, who walks through troubles with us. He doesn't leave us to the troubles by ourselves. He doesn't say, well, that's too bad. You're facing all that right now. We have a God, and you all know this. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow, thou art with me. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. You see, though the oceans foam and roar and all that kind of stuff, we have a God that says you can rejoice in the midst of your suffering because suffering produces character, endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope in Christ does not disappoint us. We don't have a God that just says good luck with your troubles. We have a God that walks through us and through these troubles with us. And if we're paying attention to him, 
We can discern, maybe in the midst of them, oftentimes in the midst of them, asking ourselves, wow, this is terrible, but how is God desiring that I grow toward him in the midst of this? I can't always control my circumstances, and neither can you. I can't stop this or that from coming into my lives, nor could I stop it from coming into your lives. But I can have perspective on what my reaction to them is. And one of the perspectives we have to to have is how does God desire us to grow in him. A, a third thing, a third means of grace that God uses to help you grow in grace is your private devotional life. You know, some of us have goals as to what we're going to buy in our lives and what jobs we're going to have and where we're going to live. Do you have devotional life goals? Do you ever wake up in the morning and say, God, I want to encounter you today face to face. I used to have a friend He stole this from Mother Teresa, so don't be impressed. He used to wake up and say, dear God, and then seek every moment of his life to be devoted to him. And when he laid down, he'd say, amen. A little schmaltzy for me, but I get it for him. For us, are we seeking to encounter the holy God every single moment of our life? Are you looking for God's presence? Because in God's presence, you become more mature. I remember as a child, some of you remember it too, you know, when you'd have these family meals and there's this natural divide of people, the men go out there and the women go in there. Part of my maturation in my life came just by sitting with the men. I didn't even know half the time what they were talking about. But you mature in the midst of. We mature in the midst of God as he fills us with himself every single day. A fourth way that, that, that a means that God uses to help you grow in grace is, is simply public worship and service. When we come to worship, our hearts are lifted and we understand that part of why we exist is to praise God. When they were singing that song of growing today, I mean, we understand that that's part of what God is is lifting at us to do. And I'm always reminded of praise choruses and songs. And One that sticks in my head about praise and worship is always this one that goes, when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I'm thinking, holy cow, 10,000 years seems like forever. But in the very scripture we read this morning, in the first few verses it says, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. So so the Lord's just warming up in the 10,000 years of prelude, right? So, so, so part of our responsibility, part of, our, part, part of the way we grow is simply being in worship. And, and one of the ways that we grow in God's grace, that, that God's grace, that God uses as a means of grace is our service in humility and, and, and reaching out to others, whether it's filling shoeboxes or, 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 or serving in some other way. Another means of grace God uses is simply the fellowship of the believers. See, Pastor Keith did a great job last week talking about how we're all part of a larger organism, which is the body of Christ. Remember he told you the story about his, his friend that's a big, tough, rough guy that had the sore toe? You know, when our toes sore, the whole rest of us is miserable, right? Because we're all connected. In the body of Christ, the church, and sometimes, you know, it's kind of dis- dismaying to me when I find out that people have been going to the same church for 20 years don't know each other's name. We've got to get to know each other because we're going to be in eternity forever. So we might want to share each other's names. So when we meet each other in heaven, it's, oh, yeah, I remember you from 830 service. But, but the, uh, let's hope a lot of that happens, right? <laughs> a lot of jokes about that. Anyway, um, we, we, we are to be in fellowship all of our lives w- with each other. Because in the community of faith, you can be strengthened. And I know many of you that are strengthened. 
And at the same time in the community of faith, you can be stretched to reach the higher heights. And another means of grace that, that God uses to, to grow us in grace, we celebrate in here. The sacraments. You know, four, or once a month, we have the bread and the juice in here. Pastors and confirmation stewards stand at the end of the aisle, and we share with you the bread and juice, which is the, the tangible symbol, symbols of Christ offering us salvation. And twice today, later in our worship services, we'll use another tangible symbol. You know, we'll use the water of baptism, to, to which all of us are baptized in, that symbolizes our new birth that, that's born of the water and, and the Spirit. And, and so those are the means that God uses us to grow in grace. So we say, what are the evidences of God's growth in, in grace and knowledge, of, of, of growth in grace and knowledge? And here's what you see. And I really just want you to do this because I'm going to go really fast right now. If you grab that insert, and you look at those five bullets, bullets, all of these tie to that. You increase in love. There's about three bullets that, that tie to that. You increase in faith. There's about three bullets that, in, that tie to that. You increase in knowledge of God. There's two at least bullets that tie to that. You increase in the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. All the bullets relate to that. And you have evidence. There's evidence that you are seen as a disciple. I grew up right here. Every once in a while I'll say, back where I, back where I came from, we said this, well, I'm from right here, so back where I came from. At the end of Bible school, about every single other day, Mona Morgan, our music leader, would make us do this. Remember that when you were a kid? You had to do this. Last song. This is the light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Then you get to that one verse, and you say, hide it under a bushel. Right, see, you all know that. Hide it under a bushel, no. And we used to, we were trained to sing it because, because out in the world of Marion and Hiawatha and Robbins and Cedar Rapids and Fairfax and Albernat and Central City, when one of us is walking around doing anything in the community, others in that community should be able to look over and because of the way we are, hopefully a lot like that, they will look at us and say, now I don't know much else. But that right there, that right there, that right there, that right there, that's a disciple. That is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're growing in grace and knowledge of love of him. And there's evidence in our lives. This is what I pray for you. This is what I hope for you. So it's time to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Would you pray with me? Uh, Oh Lord, our God, our Savior, we are called to commit to you every day and often we don't take those opportunities so today lord we just pause and worship we know what time it is on the clock we know that coffee's ready we know what's next in our lives and right now you want a minute from us so lord open our hearts allow ourselves to pour out ourselves and allow you to fully fill us so that today we might be more of you and less of us, and that we might live that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a look at this. Mary and First United Methodist Church is special to me because I, mean, I grew up in the church, and um, I, the, the youth ministry 412, I'm very involved with that, and uh, I... I mean, I go every single week, and without it, it my week would not be the same. It's uh, changed my whole perspective on life, and just love spending 
that time with all the people there, and I get so much out of it. I choose to give my gifts to Mary Methodist because um, through youth group and through youth leadership, the group that we have, um, I've been challenged to give my portion to God and give to the church. And um, I, I've learned that I don't have to wait to give, I can give now. And my name is Dylan Fawcett, and these are the reasons why I give to Mary Methodist. Will you please join me now in worshiping God this way? Will the ushers please come forward?